G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, a conversation coming you might like to join into, especially if English was not your first language, but your second language. Maybe you had to learn English when you arrived in Australia or your family was a migrant family. For most of us, there is a time in our own family history where we can identify where our parents or our great-grandparents or could be grandparents or great-great-great-grandparents arrived from other shores to set up home in Australia. Well, Australia's renowned to be a nation of migrants since colonisation. Migrants have made a huge contribution to every aspect of modern life as we know it in Australia. And in the years to come, more and more will arrive on our shores. Maybe not for the next couple of months or so, but more and more will arrive beyond the coronavirus and often not speaking English language. Well, Christians recognise that for decades... God has been bringing the world to Australia, and many have been involved in teaching English as a second language, as a way of welcoming migrants and introducing them to our Christian faith. The fact is this, English has become the global language, and it's the most studied foreign language in the world. Well, our special guest over this coming hour, Mike Rater, is director of the Centre for Biblical Preaching, and he's just released his latest book called Meet Jesus, a resource for teaching English language to new Australians around the timeless truths of the Bible. Mike is the author of a number of books, including Stirrings of the Soul, Evangelicals, and The New Spirituality, which won the 2004 Australian Christian Book of the Year Award. So we'll get a bit of a focus today on Mike's latest book. But let me say, uh, uh, just a great opportunity. Michael Rader, welcome along to 2020. Well, good to be back with you, Neil. Uh, Michael, just quickly, before we get into the topic, uh, you are called on to speak quite widely, and we know that the COVID-19 coronavirus is biting everywhere. It's uh, even biting when it comes to being guest speaker at various uh, gatherings, and you're you're affected by that too, no doubt. Yes, I think I had my last gathering um, on Wednesday. That's the last one for the foreseeable future. I think everything else at the moment is cancelled. Those in the immediate future are cancelled. Those with further down track are kind of on hold. But that doesn't mean nothing's happening. So, for example, I was to speak at Mount Tambourine at their Easter convention in just a few weeks. That's been cancelled. But um, Easter conventions are, I think, really important. And at a time when people need spiritual encouragement, well, there's no time like now, I think, when people need spiritual encouragement. And these kind of conventions provide that wonderfully. So I know that Mount Tambourine and I think others are planning to find some other way of doing the convention, maybe through live streaming or I may well videotape my talks. So with a number of the events that I've been, social media, live streaming, videotaping talks. 
Mike, this is the interesting thing, isn't it? That Christians down through the centuries have been so adaptable. Uh, They've found ways, whenever there seems to be no way, they've found ways to get the message out, to get the encouragement out, to get the discipleship out. Uh, These sorts of pastoral care things, I mean, this is just another little barrier in the way here. Uh, It's something that down through the ages, Christians have been able to rise to the occasion. Yeah. Well, if this pandemic is, the words you keep hearing, is unprecedented, well, our ability to keep on hearing God's word and to worship God is similarly I think, unprecedented. Uh, many churches now have closed their services, but are starting to live streaming. You can, you can go to church on Sunday morning through your, your computer and, in some sense, be a part of the worship experience. You can hear the Word of God, uh, you, you hear the songs. So we do have the resource now, to, to some degree, to simulate uh, what we normally do when we gather on Sundays. Okay, let's get into uh, the conversation that we wanted to talk about today. And this, for some listeners, uh, will be, of course, uh, you know, Christians teach English as a second language. Others are going, I've not heard of that sort of way of being a sort of a local missionary in my community or even doing this mm-hmm. overseas. But but uh, migrants are our neighbours, they're our work colleagues, they're our fellow students, and there is a certain sense here in which uh, the migrant community in Australia is something of a mission field. Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, Neil, I spent uh, 11 years in Pakistan. I know what it's like to have to learn a language. It's, I, it may be the hardest thing and the most humbling thing I've ever had to do, to be reduced to the level of a child, not being able to communicate, not being able to shop, to be laughed at when you make mistakes. It's, it's a very... It's a very difficult thing. So I know how people feel when they come here, longing to communicate, but being frustrated. Uh, and we've seen around the country, there's a mushrooming of these, uh, these, these ESL classes for people like that. And a friend of mine said recently that, uh, and this was in the Eternity magazine, she thinks this is the, the most strategic and effective means of outreach that the church has at its disposal today. And people is it are, people are coming to the church uh, for a number of things, but they, they they want to hear the Bible taught in simple English. And is it the sense here, Mike, that you need to have some special qualification to befriend someone who is a migrant who is looking to learn uh, those common conversational English? Uh, uh, language uh, expressions. I mean, I, I imagine this can be open to anyone who can can you know have yeah. some level of mastery of the English language. Well, there are normally two kinds of people who help to run these classes. First of all, you have your teachers, and they have some some training and some experience in delivering a lesson or a story in simple, easy to understand English. That does that does take some skills. But afterwards, people break up into groups just for conversation. And anybody there, I think, who, because you need to be wise, to be, speak slowly, speak simply, but anybody with a heart to make friends with people and to sit and to listen and to speak could play a vitally important role in, 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 in those small groups. Just, just, just talking to people, befriending, making conversation. Uh, more Christians teach English as a second language than any other special interest group in the field. A little bit of detail I picked up. So this is really one of those areas that, you know, if you're looking for an opportunity here, and especially if you have, a, a, if you are dual language, 
and you're reaching out to those communities that are coming here and uh, looking to learn English, uh, this is a tremendous opportunity for you as a Christian believer. That's not at all surprising for a number of reasons. One, I think, I mean, people come to these lessons in part because they're lonely. Um, they're very lonely. And they, they just don't find, by and large, the average Australian all that welcoming. So they come lonely. And I think Christians have a heart for the lonely and the, the marginalized. It's not surprising that they want to reach out to these people. But also, of course, uh, they want to share with them the love of Jesus. As you, you, you rightly said, Neil, uh, the world is coming to our doorstep. The mission field is coming to us. We still send missionaries, but people are coming to us. And this is just a, a wonderful opportunity to share with them the gospel and the love of Christ. And Christians, of course, have a great heart for that. Mike, and they're, and they're coming, and they're coming to us. You've got to go out knocking on doors or standing on street corners, which terrifies people. They're coming to us. So when you meet someone at your local church, if your local church is able to meet uh, over these coming times, but when you meet someone at your local church and they don't have a great grasp of English, the likelihood is they haven't uh, got a lot of chance to understand what's being said in your local church, uh, perhaps in the preaching and uh, the praise and worship and those sorts of things. But if they happen to be at your local church, it may be because they are lonely and looking to connect with someone. Uh, yes. Is that a, is that a way to look at that when you come across someone who doesn't speak yeah, great sure. English? Yeah, I mean, right now, of course, I think those that are still running ESL classes, and there won't be many, are seeing a, a, a massive decline in attendance. Not surprisingly, the other thing I, I've done Neil, when people from, from my church, when I preach, I preach from a full text, and regularly, if there are people there whose English is their second language, I photocopy uh, my sermon and I give them the full text. So as I preach, they can they can read through it with me. I do think, and then of course invite them to come to the class. We do need to be much more sensitive, I think, to those in our gatherings for whom English is a second language and try to accommodate their needs. Now, your own story here, Mike, you began to tell us a little bit about some time, about 12 years, I think you said, uh, working in Pakistan. And so you've been on the other side of this, where uh, where they mm. can't understand you, you can't understand them. Uh, but you arrived on our shores from England. So your story goes deeper here because you yourself are coming from a migrant family. Yes. Although I had a heavy accent, they think I could be lastly understood through my heavy accent. Because I came here as a boy about 11 years old, and looking back now, I, I think they were pretty traumatic years. I think I spoke with a heavy accent. I was called Pommy. Uh, and for me, when I think back on my Christian story, Neil, I, I wasn't brought up at a Christian home at the time. They became believers later. But the one place where I found love and acceptance was the church youth group. I went there not as a believer, uh, but I, I went there, I just found friendship. And I stayed there, and over the years, my faith grew and matured. So I think it was this location of coming from, in my case, England to Australia, the sense of being different and longing for friendship, and then the kindness and warmth of the Christians in the youth group, which really brought me into the kingdom. Brought you into the kingdom, and you trained at Moore Theological College. Uh, then you moved into missions. You eventually became head of their department of missions, and mm-hmm. you taught in the Zarafath Bible Institute in Pakistan when you were an English speaker going to a nation that doesn't speak English. Uh, uh-huh. how, did, how did that work for you? Because I mean, you're just well, talking about this difference between the language barriers here. 
Yes, well, in particular, like, like many missionaries in countries like that, you have your first term, your first three years learning the language. Although, really, you spend the next 20 years learning the language, Neil. Yep. Uh, I mean, after three or four years, I think I could fumble and bubble my way through a talk. But it's just, it's, it's just, it takes many years, really, to learn, to, to learn a language, to learn the idioms, to begin to feel comfortable with people, to be relaxed, and to, to understand them, and then to understand you. You, you. We all know what it's like to hear someone speak with a heavy accent, and we've got to listen so carefully to understand. Well, that's, that was me. I was the one with a heavy accent, and I could see them listening carefully. And just, it just takes a long, long time. And for me, Neil, it was, as a speaker, a preacher, the constant frustration of not being understood. Having spent years preaching in Australia in English and being understood and appreciated, to find myself in a context where I wasn't understood or in, only understood in part. And for me, the frustration of that was, 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 was quite heavy. Mm. Uh, and I lived with that for a number of years. So I have an understanding of what it's like for people to come to Australia desperate to learn the language and their constant frustrations at, at the mistakes they make. We'll eventually get to the contents of your book, but I've got to ask you, though, Mike, I mean... You mentioned that we Aussies tend to be a little intolerant of people who can't speak English. Uh, there's a certain sense, and look, I'd like to invite listeners to uh, give us their perception here too, because uh, this level of intolerance that we have, Australians pride ourselves in the fact that we speak Australian, we speak English. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, somehow or other, we think that those who can't speak English are somehow, you know, a little bit less... Uh, less Australian or less uh, important than we are, but but others who are coming here are learning multiple languages. Sometimes they're coming with three and four languages. I mean, oh. it's amazing the skill that people have to speak multiple languages. Uh, oh, what are absolutely. your thoughts? Absolutely. A little, a yes. little more thought here on this intolerance that we might have of other languages, and if we could break that sort of idea of being intolerant and uh, reach out, be more accepting, that would make a huge difference. It would, and to be able to put yourself in their shoes. If you were to move overseas, you'd naturally be drawn to people like you. You'd find the English-speaking community, because there you can be yourself, you can relax and feel normal. Once you leave that community, you, 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 you feel ill at ease, you feel under threat. It's, 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 yes, and, and that's how they feel. Now, certainly we'll encourage them to learn English, and we provide the ESL classes. But put yourself in their shoes and recognize how hard it is to be in a foreign place and not to be able to communicate. And therefore, the longing to be with people. So you understand not just your language, but your culture, your idioms, your music, the way you think. You're going to keep double-guessing. Will they, will they understand me? But you're, you're on the same wavelength, and that's wonderfully relaxing and freeing. And not to be in that context can be... It's very difficult. And just, I guess, to have some sympathy and understanding for people who come here with little or no English. Now, Mike, your new book is called Meet Jesus, and it's a resource for teaching English language to new Australians. Is this the sort of book that ordinary people can just pick up and use that if they've got neighbours or people who are coming along to their church, they can Absolutely. use this? Yep. Give us a little over, overview of what Meet Jesus does. It came out of an ESL class, which was held in my church. And groups like the Bible Society and the Gideons very generously make Bibles available in easy English. Uh, but 
the Marvellous Society has, has thought for a while of the need for a resource to give people be, just beyond that once they've got their Bible. So I was asked by the Society to write something, just something in simple English. And I thought, well, you start with Jesus. That's, that's the natural place to start, the center of our faith. And I wanted people to understand who he is, and, and in particular, three things in the book. Uh, what he said. So I've chosen five of his famous sayings or, or talks, like the prodigal son, uh, like the love command, five of his, fam- his famous talks, five of his great works. So I looked at an exorcism, uh, raising of the dead, the sitting of the storm, and the last section on the last days, the death, resurrection, the Great Commission, and the Ascension. So just an overview in simple English, so people can meet Jesus, hear his words, see his actions, know that he died for them and rose again. And the last few pages is just an invitation for them to indeed to meet Jesus, to give their life to him. It's in, it's in very simple English. It was very, I found of all the books I've written, I've done a few now, this was by far the hardest. It's the shortest by far, and the hardest by far, just to get, try to pitch it at the right level so someone with limited English can understand most of it. Uh, not, not treat them like they're a child, but treat them like they're, as many are, professional, intelligent adults, but communicate in a way that for them is easy to understand. And, and to make the book personal, it's called not a book about Jesus, it's, it's Meet Jesus. Let's get to know this man personally. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Mike Rater is our guest. We're talking about his new book called Meet Jesus, and it's a resource for teaching English language to new Australians around the timeless truths of the Bible. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, perhaps you are a, a recent new Australian. Perhaps you came to Australian shores and couldn't speak English, and now you're feeling fabulous about the way you can communicate. Well, uh, don't worry if you're not a great communicator. If you can understand my request for you to call, why don't you do that? And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Mike, just before we take any calls, uh, let me ask you about a class, a uh, mm. you know, an uh, English as a second language class. If there were people who are part of local churches listening to us now and they thought, well, we should get something like go- that going in our community, uh, how easy is it to get something started? Well, I think it's pretty easy. Um, I think you simply get the word out there that your church is about to run such a class. And normally, Neil, there, there are two components. People come and mingle together. And then certainly at the class in our church, we have someone give a talk about a topic. It might be travel. It might be communication. It might be dreams. It might be hopes. It might be family. Just a topic. And they talk about this topic in simple English. Then people break up into groups and maybe ask questions and just talk around that topic. Then the second component is someone stands up and gives a Bible story, not a, not, a, not a Bible study, they just tell a story from the Bible in simple English. And then what happens is uh, they ask people, were there any words they didn't understand, and those words are put on the board, and those words are explained. Uh, the people discuss the story amongst themselves. And then the teacher tells the story one more time. They repeat the story. And then at the end, we, we uh, let people know that there's a Bible available for them if for free if they'd like to take that away. 
so that the program is, is it runs for maybe one and a half hours. It's quite a simple program. What's happening in a number of churches is there's then the invitation for those who are there, if they'd like to study the Bible more or more deeply, to either stay on for a Bible study or, in the case of my church, go back to someone's house for a, for a meal together and then for a Bible study. And we would find in my church about 20 people will go there on a regular basis. Some would find as many as, as, as 40% of those who attend stay on for the Bible study. I think not just because they want to hear the Bible. Again, they want to keep improving their English. And again, I think a big factor is they're lonely. And the chance to be with other people, especially over a meal, is very, very appealing. So the program is quite a simple one, but very effective. Well, what a great way to build on something, too, from a first contact and the loneliness and the issues that people might have as they come to Australia into learning English as a second language and then onto a Bible study. And uh, you've made some great friends, no doubt, over the years. Let's take let's take some calls. And okay. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call, first of all, from Hemi, who is in Logan in Queensland. Hi, Hemi. Welcome. Have I got Hemi? Oh, hi. Hey, Hemi. What are your thoughts? I just wanted to share some words of encouragement. Like, I know the church that I go to does the same thing, and it's, it's actually a really great way to yeah, bring bring the gospel to those who you know, can't actually reach it or it's not as much accessible to them. So I think it's like a great way to you know, bring salvation as well. So I just wanted to share some words of encouragement with with you guys. Hemi, good stuff. Mm. I mean, this is uh, a, it's, it's like a way that you can pick up on reaching out to people that churches probably could take more advantage of than they have been. What are Does your thoughts have here? have such a, a group in his church? Hemi, have you got one of those in your church? Yeah, so we, uh, we have churches that are over, overseas in countries like this where like persecution would be harder for Christians or even, so what they do is have English classes and they'll introduce them to like teach them English and stuff and if they think someone's alright then they'll invite them to know about the Bible and stuff Emma you're into a whole new dimension for our conversation and that is the way that people teach English in a missionary context and by going into other nations and, uh, and teaching English and that would be a whole new dimension to talk about Mike Yes yeah. and a very important one my own brother-in-law has spent 20, 30 years in uh, closed countries, uh, just running, help running ESL classes, and t- t- wonderfully effective again, because as you rightly said, Neil, English is now the lingua franca of the world, and uh, people who want to go overseas or want to progress professionally know they need to have English. So, particularly young people, young men and women in, in these countries are enrolling in large numbers into these classes where they're taught English. Now, in these classes, normally the gospel isn't preached. That's that's not really allowed or appropriate. But as you said, outside the context of the classes, friendships are formed. And in those friendships, people see see and hear the Lord Jesus. Emmy, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's hear from Rosemary in Melbourne. Hi, Rosemary. Welcome. Oh, good morning, Neil. Rosemary, lovely to hear from you. What are your thoughts quickly? Um, I'm thinking, first of all, probably most of us might have had a next-door neighbour 
who might not have spent, uh, spoken English very well or had a, an accent of another country. So probably we might have been for many years this part of our uh, life, knowing somebody personally or maybe a friend at school in Australia, something like that. Um, apart from just English-speaking people with an English or Scottish background. Um, secondly, I'm thinking, um, as if you are a Christian yourself, and if you get any phrase book of a foreign language from a bookshop or something, there's different pages there where you can learn a few words of other languages, such as Christmas, Easter, God, um, Church, and just use a few of those um, just with you know, talking to different people. Rosemary, you make a really important point here because while you might be looking to teach English to someone as a second language, uh, actually empathising and identifying with them and learning some words from the language that your uh, that your student might be from, that's going to be a valuable part of, a, I guess, a relationship building. Uh, Mike, uh, quickly, what are your thoughts on here, on for uh, Rosemary? Yeah, absolutely. Anything that makes them feel at home uh, we had a lady, an Indian lady, uh, in our class, and Sarah invited us, my wife, to, back to our apartment. We lived in Pakistan, so our apartment's full of Persian carpets and crockery and brass stuff. And she came in, and she saw all this material similar to our home country. And she said, oh, this is the first time i felt at home since I've been in Australia. And she began to cry. Uh-huh. And I think... If someone meets an Australian who just says a few words to them in their own language, which shows they, they care, they understand, it, it just can be very touching and very endearing and can be the beginning and the forming of a friendship. Tessie, who is in Blackhall in Queensland. Hi, Tessie. Hello. Tessie, welcome. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Yes, well, I just want to share you how I um, learn how to speak English well. Oh, well, not really well, but, um, you know, improve my English. You know what? You're speaking oh. it really well, Tessie. <laughs> Let me say, that's sounding fabulous. I'm sure everyone is hearing and understanding everything. So, yes, yeah, sorry, keep on going. Yeah, well, when I arrived here, um, you know, uh, I married to an Australian, and he was a Christian, um, you know, my first husband. And, um, you know, he said we used to, you know, read our Bible every day, and he said you keep uh, doing it because it will improve your English and the way you, um, you know, pronounce the word as well, you said. And, yeah, I find it, yeah, reading the Bible, it does help you um, to improve your um, English, how you speak as well. And it made me more comfortable as well to communicate with Christian friends when I go to church. <laughs> yeah. Tessie, you are wonderful. It's so, so good to hear from you. Mike Rater, uh, that's no doubt music to your ears when you hear of Tessie's story. Yes, it is. Yes, people who introduce their friends to Jesus from another another culture and then the excitement that they feel. Uh, A couple came to our ESL class from from Europe, a young married couple, and they came to learn English. Uh, They've been in... They'd been sent to church as teenagers, but had just they thought the church was just completely irrelevant, and they, they walked away and hadn't been back to a church. They came to our class. They heard the Bible stories. They went along to the Bible study, and the young man said, and I, let me quote his words, having been given a Bible, this is the most treasured thing I'll take back with me when I return home. I plan to go back to church. Am I right? My wife said to him, don't just go back to church, uh, meet Jesus. And there's somebody 
to sit down with you day by day, pray with you, to read the Word of God, for you to meet, and for you then to meet Jesus. It's just, it's, it's thrilling. Thrilling to hear from you, Tessie. And before I let you go, uh, you obviously, when you started to read the Bible, you were reading it out loud. And yes, and exactly, yes. and that's because obviously going to be a real key, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's what the, um, my husband said. You read it aloud, so we use, I used to read it to my girls as well. You know, yeah, the Bible. Yeah, wonderful. So I really reading mostly what I read is the Bible. Yes, yeah, and so so wonderful to have a, you know, you. Uh, I do, uh, yes, and uh, my um, relationship with God is really getting closer as I read you His Word. Uh, now, yeah. Tessie, you're coming from the Philippines, and uh, and so uh, so let me just ask you, because you would, uh, perhaps in the cultural setting in the Philippines, you might have been quite familiar with some of those Bible stories, but in Filipino language. Was it helpful then to actually read some of those stories in English language, because you sort of had a, an idea of the flow of how those stories went? Did that work for you like that? Well, you know, that's that's my problem. You know, I'm really thankful to the Lord that um, because you know I always used to say to the people people around me or my friends, you know, that I never really uh, uh, what it called embarrassed to tell them that when I was in primary and even high school, I struggled, but I think God helped me there to get through it. And that I said, you know, without God, I wouldn't be here in Australia. And you know. I was really used to be kept back. I wasn't doing well with my studies, you know. <laughs> Tessie, just wonderful to hear from you. Thank you so much for calling in. Our talkback line is open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Mike Rater, when we hear Tessie's story and the idea that you know she didn't do all that well at school, and yeah. uh, you know, uh, getting a hold of the Bible uh, wasn't just for her. It didn't just uh, teach her how to read some words, maybe get the pronunciations right, but she was drawn closer to God. Does this yeah. automatically happen when you open the Bible, or do you need some sort of extra uh, oversight to be able to bring out those truths? How do you think sure. of, of of how people will will function like that in their own belief? Sure. Well, of course, Neil, you need the, the Spirit of God. I think uh, without the Spirit of God, the Bible is just a just a, a bunch of words. But it is quite remarkable when God's Spirit comes upon someone and they open the Bible. It just comes alive. They may have read the Bible for years and years and years, but once the Spirit of God comes comes in them, the Bible just changes and becomes overnight a living book, which they just find they can't get enough of. And they, and they see Jesus there, and they fall in love with Jesus. So it's critical then in, the, in these ESL classes that as that you give people Bible stories. It's, it, as, and as they hear the Bible story, they hear the words of God, the words of Jesus. And then, of course, as I said, to then meet together afterwards for deeper Bible study. And and we've seen, as most of these classes have, we've seen life change. We had a... Uh, the students put on a dinner last year, a thank you dinner for all the teachers and helpers in the ESL class. And I think four got up and, and gave their testimony of how through coming to ESL class and hearing the Bible and studying God's Word, they become believers and being baptized. So God, God is working through these classes and through His Word to bring people to Himself. 
I was asking Tessie whether she had much idea about the Bible before coming to Australia. Uh, it's interesting here because some people will come from cultures where the Bible has been a part of their culture and perhaps uh, just as a dry old book uh, full of you know outdated stories as some people think. And mm. there must be others from other contexts, and I'll get your thoughts here because you spent those 12 years in Pakistan, where in some cultures people are aware of the Bible, but they're taught that what's in the Bible is all a whole lot of lies and uh, misinterpreted stories and all sorts of things like that that might come from uh, those who are coming from an Islamic context. So yes. there's a certain sense here, I imagine, that once you start to open the Bible stories with people learning a second language, some of those things get corrected and brought into to a new focus. Yes, that's yes, interesting you say that, uh, Neil. We have a number of Muslims come to these classes. Let me give you another quote of a, a woman. I've called her Samira, uh, who comes to ESL and comes to Bible study from a Muslim background. And she said this to my wife. Let me quote her. I love Jesus. I love his miracles. I see he's very powerful. But is he God? I don't think so. But I don't know. I wonder. So I keep reading the Bible. Isn't that terrific? Um, so she's grappling with this very thing. that so She's been taught from childhood that Jesus is a great prophet, a great miracle worker, but nothing more than a prophet. He's not the savior of the world. He's not the son of God. And now she's being confronted by that. She's not being pushed or pressured in any way. She's been given a Bible and been, been, been advised to read that Bible and read for yourself, and you decide who Jesus really is. And that's, I think, the purpose of my book, Neil, Meet Jesus. Uh, the subtitle is An Invitation to Get to Know the Jesus of the Bible. Get to know him and make up your own mind, having heard his words, having seen the things he's done, having seen and heard about his death on the cross and resurrection. What do you think? Is he just a prophet? Or, as in her case, is he much more than that? You know, as Christians, we're not coercive, and we don't have a rod across anyone's back to believe. Some might feel as though I've got to say the right things at the right time, but ultimately, this is a decision that people make. And you've chosen the early part of your book to talk about the early life of Jesus, and you're telling stories around the wise men and Jesus at his baptism and uh, the beginning mm. of Jesus' mm. work. So, so when you start to talk about those stories, uh, you've got, as you say, as I'm not, I'm not, you know, we're not being coercive. What we're actually doing is offering the opportunity for people to look and uh, open themselves to God, revealing Himself through those stories. Mm. Yeah, and so in the ears of classes, people aren't preaching; they're just they're simply telling the story. Uh, and then later on in the Bible study, people are sharing their viewpoints. Uh, in my book, what I've done, I've given a, in easy English, we give a, a Bible passage with, let's say, uh, then about one of our Lord's miracles. I explain what it means. And then every, every, every chapter has a section, uh, who is Jesus? What does this story, what does this teaching tell us about Jesus? So at every point, I'm trying to confront people with Jesus who he is, what he said, what he's done. 
So you have this particular emphasis on what Jesus taught about salvation. Which Just pick up a miracle for us here, Mike, and the way you might ordinarily teach about that. Because no doubt listeners today will be saying, well, which, which stories is Mike talking about? So is there one miracle you can pick up on here? That's interesting. When I first wrote this, Neil, I, I picked five miracles. Uh, I forget the five I picked. And I gave the book to a friend to read. And my friend said, uh, Mike, why is there no exorcism of all the miracles? You've, you've not had Jesus setting people free from demonic spirits. So you thought you were probably here. You, you thought you were being a little bit sensitive. Come, come from cultures where they live with evil spirits in the occult. That's, that's the air they breathe. So I thought, yes, that's a, that's a dreadful omission in one sense. <laughs> if they need to be reminded, so many people from these backgrounds, that the Jesus of the Bible is a Jesus who has power and authority over evil spirits. So I included it and actually made that the very first miracle uh, that I, I display in the book is Jesus' exorcism of a demon. That it's just so important for people of, of other cultures. Well, that really leads us into a whole deeper conversation we might not have time to talk through today about what happens when people are confronted by this idea that, you know, Jesus' exorcisms were really powerful encounters. And uh, as you say, people coming from particular backgrounds, and I'm you might like to uh, fill in here, but I'm thinking people coming maybe from African backgrounds, uh, those sorts of people who where that spiritual dimension is just so much more powerful than in some oh, yes. Western societies. Uh, which, which, yes. which, which cultures do you think, uh, when you talk about, you know, Jesus' exorcisms, which cultures do you really like to bring that into? Well, I'm thinking of those African cultures where every village would have some kind of witch doctor. Uh, I was in Uganda some years ago uh, with a, at a conference for Christ, with a Christian friend. He was called away early in the morning to go back to his village because uh, a woman there had been demon-possessed was having convulsions, and he went there to, to pray over that and cast out the demon. And it, he spoke of it in the most matter-of-fact way. This is part of my daily life. This is the it, this is the, the world that my family live in, the world of the occult and demons and magicians and whatnot. The other thing, the other group in my mind are people from a Chinese background, where the worship and veneration of the ancestors is so important. And for many Chinese believers... When they become Christians, the great challenge is when they have a festival where the, the ancestors now are venerated, what does the believer do? Do they join in with the family in the worship of these, these dead people and the veneration? Or at that point, do they make a stand and run the threat of the anger and maybe even the rejection of the family? So I'm thinking too of the many people from those cultures where ancestor worship or the occult, like the feng shui and all these things, are just so much a part of their culture. I don't think we realize in our Anglo-Saxon culture how much the other world, the spirit world, the world of dead ancestors, is permeates so much of life. You can't get on a bus in Pakistan without there being the evil eye there to ward off evil spirits. It's just, it's just, uh, it's everywhere. Wow. I mean, just to take us into that depth, that is just amazing uh, to talk about that spiritual dimension and to recognize just how significant those words and 
as you're indicating, the works of Jesus confront uh, some of those cultural differences in a powerful way. And and here, I imagine it's not because you're deliberately trying to put in something that might be divisive, but as people are reading those stories for themselves, they start to appreciate that there's a difference between Jesus and the way that they've thought about their own cultural religiosity. Yeah. Well, yes, that's right. Actually, I've been reading Mark's Gospel of my quiet times, and just this morning was a story after the Transfiguration, when the Lord comes down from the mountain meets this demon-possessed boy who can't speak or hear and, and, and heals him. And you read through the Gospels, the confrontation with the demonic, with Satan and his angels, from chapter 1 to the very end, it, it runs through all through the Gospels. And it, it may seem strange to us, it's not strange to most people in the world today. That's the world that they inhabit. And it's a world which impacts Christians, again, in, in Pakistan. Uh, when a Christian has a problem... Where do they go? Well, there's great pressure on them to go to the local holy land to receive some kind of ambulance, not to go to Christ, not to go to the church, not to go to prayer, but to go to the holy man. Uh, that's the pressure upon them. From others in the church, that's how pervasive the occult is in so many cultures. So I, I was amazed at my own blind spot, Neil, <laughs> when I came to put together five great works of Jesus. I'd forgotten, I don't know how I could have done this, this most important work, the statement of our Lord's authority over the forces of darkness. Mike, the longest section in your book, you focus on Jesus' death and his resurrection, and you have those stories around the Last Supper and Jesus' death on the cross, the forgiveness of the dying criminal. Uh, then, of course, uh, you move into the glory of the resurrection and uh, the Great Commission and the Ascension. Uh, those are sort of just incredible truths and part of our Christian faith. And uh, you yeah. reserve that that long section for that because, I mean, those are powerful, powerful stories. Yes. And, of course, they reflect the emphasis of the Gospels, where so much of the Gospels is taken up with the last days of Jesus' life because the gospel writers recognize these are the climatic events. These are the, this is where salvation takes place in those events. So that has to be reflected in my book. And I want people to meet Jesus who can save them from their sins. I don't want just them to have their minds filled with facts to understand who the historical Jesus was. I, I don't, that's not the book's title, not the historical Jesus. It's meet Jesus. It's meet the one who can take your sins away and take you into eternal life. So therefore, I have to emphasize those events. But also, Neil, my last one is the Ascension, which is so often forgotten in, in our preaching and whatnot. So I wanted to have at the last chapter, the uh, Jesus the Lord being ascended to heaven, where he sits now at God's right hand, glorified. That's where the, that's where the story ends, and that's where the book had to end. And that's the Christ, of course, right now in our time of crisis. That's the one we turn to. We turn to the Christ who sits by the Father's side, reigning on high, controlling history, and we pray to him. So it's very important that I end, not just with the, with the resurrection, but with the ascension of Christ. Wonderful stuff. The idea of meeting contemporary Jesus, Jesus today, and I suspect, Mike, and for your thoughts here, that sometimes even in our own church situations, 
depending on the sort of ministry that we're uh, open to, uh, sometimes we're led to think that Christianity is only about the historical Jesus. But uh, meeting Jesus is about Jesus today, Jesus right now in my life, and that's something Mm. we can all aspire to, no doubt. Mm. I uh, was talking to a retired pastor who comes to our church some weeks ago, and he said to me that every time a preacher preaches, he must ask himself, so what? What does this great truth of the Bible mean for us today and for our walk with Christ? And as, I, as you know, Neil, my work is to help preachers, to, to grow as preachers. And the area where they struggle the most in their preaching is normally this very area. How do I apply this passage, particularly as Old Testament, how do I apply that to Christ and to living for Christ today, but it's it's so, it's so critical. But in a way, it's personal. You know, in my walk with Christ, as I as I talk with Christ, as I meet with Him every day, what does this truth mean for how I live? It's just it's such an important part of our preaching, but it's either neglected or I think done quite poorly. Well. We've run out of time for this conversation, but I don't oh, want to leave that listeners. Went fast. That went fast. I know. We're just getting warmed <laughs> up. We'll have to know, we'll make another time on another day because uh, some of this conversation, uh, just beautiful to hear your reflection on this. But I do want to give listeners an opportunity to know where they can get a hold of your book. And no doubt it's going to be available through all good Christian bookstores. And yep. I think it's a bit of a partnership you have with the Bible Society here. So certainly connection with the Bible Society to get a hold of it. But the book is called Meet Jesus. And uh, Mike, you're a well-known author. And I mentioned a couple of your books a little earlier, uh, Stirrings of the Soul, Evangelicals, and The New Spirituality. And that won the 2004 Australian Christian Book of the Year Award. So for listeners looking for a quality book, and for those who might have some connection with some new Australians who don't speak great English, uh, this might be the book for you. It's called Meet Jesus. And no doubt uh, if you're listening and you're not near any Christian bookstores, uh, no doubt you can get a copy of the book too through the Centre for Biblical Preaching. Mike leads the Centre for Biblical Preaching and there is a website. It's cbp.org.au. cbp.org.au. Mike Rader, just great getting your insights today. Thanks so much for sharing them with us on 2020. It was a pleasure, Neil. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.